Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Definitely Bonnie in the house. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run, walk, ride, or whatever you're doing these days with Game Changers, this is the place where we are. So let's see what the buzz on the street is today. There's nobody on the street, but there's definitely a buzz. I found a quote from The Adventures of the Copper Beaches, B-E-E-C-H-E-S, not the kind you go swimming in. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, number 12, of course, written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Listen up. Here's the quote. Data, 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 he cried impatiently. I can't make bricks without clay. So there you go. We're putting that together and we're talking about doing something with data. So here's what we're discussing today. Intelligent enterprises know how to use their data assets to achieve desired outcomes. What's the goal? Do it faster. Do it with less risk. How? Well, there are so many ways. I'll tell you a couple before I introduce my stellar panel today, especially in times of uncertainty. Come on. We're in the midst and trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel of the COVID-19 global pandemic. Intelligent enterprises, because they already know what that means, can anticipate and proactively respond in real time. And they're putting their employees and their customers first. And that's always a good thing. They are able to create personalized, unique, digital experiences. We're all digital today from disparate data sources while leveraging AI. We love artificial intelligence, chatbots, and voice technologies. Yes, that's the rage. And most importantly, they know how to build digital ecosystems that can leverage that data. We'll call it orchestrated data to create new business models. You got to do that today. And revenue streams. Why? They want to monetize their data-driven capabilities, which they have, and apply core business competencies in new and innovative ways. I have a panel of three experts on this topic. We're going to be talking about the intelligent enterprise data assets and your digital ecosystem. I know that's a mouthful. We're going to be speaking in a moment with Mike Price at Capgemini, Ritesh Menon at Inkshire. We'll find all about what his company does and Scott Harrison at SAP. And they're going to help us figure out how your company, if you are not yet an intelligent enterprise, well, you know what I say at the end of the show, what are you waiting for? We're going to help you figure out how to get there. Now is the time. So welcome, welcome, welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and this is Internet of Things with Game Changers, Season 6. Seven. Hard to believe it's been so many years they've been with me. And a shout out to sponsor Ira Burke at SAP. So let's start with panelist introductions. Mike Price, Cap Gemini. Mike, you've been on before. Welcome back. And why don't you update everybody on what you've been up to and what does this topic mean to you, Mike? Sure. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, yeah. Since we talked last um, last July, uh, a lot has a lot has has mm-hmm. changed and remained the same. Um, uh, I'm I'm responsible for SAP globally for for Capgemini within our what we call our Insights and Data Global Business Line, and uh, working with Scott, who's also on the on the horn here, and and others within SAP to really really raise the game in terms of of um, how to be a resilient and renewable enterprise and, and bring uh, data and, and analytics to become a, um, a renewable insights-driven organization. Um, you know, this, this particular topic is, the reason it's important to me is that it is, it is that, not from a, 
not from an SAP perspective or from any other technology perspective. It is, it is how can companies become renewable enterprises and drive their businesses through renewable insights. And renewable means it changes and it adapts and it is agile to react, you know, based on market uh, situations, very much like the one we're in right now, right, because of the COVID-19 situation. So thanks for having me, Bonnie, and um, looking forward to the next hour. Delighted. And, Mike, I'm looking at your bio here. It says you graduated from the University of Georgia with a Bachelor of Science degree in computer science. What was computer science like in the, back in the day when you were studying it? Was it anything uh, like what it is today? No, isn't that crazy? My daughter graduates from Georgia Tech this year with a degree in computer science, and I have no idea what she's doing other than than coding and things that I don't recognize. Yep, I, I have a couple of degrees in uh, in computer science. Uh, actually, it was programming and operations way back in the day, and I was key punching, Mike, and I was working on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 in COBOL, and then I was working on IBM 4341 when we finally got rid of the key punch decks in PL1. If anybody is alive who even remembers, well, COBOL is still rather alive and well, but PL1, who knew? So, yes, I go back, and, and that's why I asked you about your degree. I thought it was... Uh, Interesting to see a, a fellow early early adopter. Let's just leave it at that. We won't give ages out. Mike Price, welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's go to our second guest. We have Ritesh Menon at Inkshire. Ritesh, give us a little bit about your background and what in the world does Inkshire do? I think this is the first time we've had Inkshire on the show. So welcome, Ritesh. Talk to me. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, it's a pleasure to be on, on the show. Um, so you. I lead the business and operations at uh, Inkshire, uh, North America. Uh, Inkshire is into the business of digital applications, products, and, uh, um, and, and systems, right? So that's, that's our business. Um, at Inkshire, I lead the strategy, the market development. Um, the, I incubate new business models, and I hold the P&N responsibility uh, for, for Inkshire for North America. Um, I've been you know, fortunate enough to be part of a number of transformative journeys that our customers go through, um, you know, and uh, from that, I've gained certain unique perspectives and insights which, and learnings, which, which I hope to bring to the party today in our conversation. Um, and um, like I said, since interest into, that, into the world of digital, digital applications, um, leveraging data assets and building that digital ecosystem, uh, that's, that's very, very close to home for us. So I'm excited to be part of it. Um, and prior to, work, prior to working for Inkshire here, which, which has been close to 10 years now, I used to work for SAP. Uh, for, mm-hmm. for around uh, four or five years. Interesting. I notice in your bio, Ritesh, that you're a startup enthusiast and I love this, a relentless optimist. Are you still a relentless optimist in these <laughs> day, in this day and age? I know we're talking about optimism <laughs> through the lens of COVID and the lens of data, 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 as Sherlock Holmes said. Uh, but are you, are you still a relentless optimist, Ritesh? Please say yes, but it's up to you. <laughs> Yes, I absolutely am. Um, you know, I, I think the world has seen um, certain changes for sure, and which you know, at the moment, it's it's very, very gloomy. But I'm a relentless optimist. I think we will learn from this. We'll come out of this together stronger. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I am one body, and I'll continue to be one. 
I like that so much. I'm glad you put that in your bio. I I love it. And you say you love spending time and having conversation with other business leaders in the ecosystem. That's that's good to put that in a bio. I like that. That's very, very interesting. Thank you, Ritesh, and welcome. Scott Harrison, welcome back. You've been on with me before. Scott, why don't you tell us what you do in your role as Vice President for P&T, Platform and Technology Ecosystem at SAP. And how did you get to that point in your career? Scott, welcome. Yeah, thank you, Bonnie, and thank you for having us on the show again. So, yeah, what, so what I'm responsible for and look after now is I'm working with our strategic service partners and what we call innovation partners. Those are the partners that are really on the forefront of innovation, whether it's innovation in terms of packaged service offerings or it's innovation around delivering services in new and innovative ways that drive customers to adopt our technology. Those are the types of partners that I'm working with. Partners around the globe, whether they're they're small partners and startup partners or whether they're, you know, the very large household names in technology, mm-hmm. we're working with them to drive the SAP platform and technology portfolio, which we believe obviously is critical for customers to run their mission-critical business processes. So I've been in this role now for just over a year and Prior to that and last time I was with you on the show, I was responsible for the SAP Partner Edge Build Program, Mm -hmm. which was a way for partners to come into SAP and to begin to monetize and create new solutions leveraging the similar portfolio. You've been around for 20 years in the technology, software, and related industry, Scott. Have you seen a lot of changes, would you say, in 20 years or in, in 20 minutes this year? (laughs) I've seen a lot of change in in 20 minutes, and I've seen a lot of change in 20 years. You know, but but sometimes the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? That that Mm -hmm. famous uh, quote, if you will. I mean, right now, I think what you're seeing is that so much has changed in the last 90 days. And when we think about the topic of this show uh, around data, 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 whether you're a person at home, who now is a home office employee and you've had to procure new types of technologies to run your business or whether you're a company with 100,000 employees worldwide, you know, that is now having to help support people working out of home. You're seeing that data is driving the change and the data and the economics around the data is so critical. 20 minutes or 20 years ago, right, (laughs) we still had significant change, right? We had, you know, you talked about programming in the COBOL and and punch things. I remember the days when things like outsourcing of technology wasn't even on the table. You know, people did things themselves in their own IT shops and it wasn't strategic to outsource. Mm -hmm. Um, That has drastically changed as an example. So it's amazing to change in 20 minutes. 20 years, and it just shows how flexible and, and, and dynamic people need to be to stay successful in the world today. Very well put. Dynamic and flexible, agile, authentic, present, mindful, in the moment, proactive. We could start a whole list of adjectives there. Thank, thank you, Scott Harrison. Pleasure to have you back. If you're just tuning in, this is Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio, presented, of course, by SAP. And we're speaking about the intelligent enterprise, and we hope yours is one. If not, we're going to help you get on board. Data assets and your digital ecosystem. Whether you like it or know it or not, you have data assets. The question is, 
says, what are you doing with them? Do you know where they are? Are they clean? Are they good? Are they new? And what can you do to turn them into actionable insights? I'm speaking today with Mike Price at Capgemini, Ritesh Menon at Inkshire. If you're looking for his company, it's INC. T-U-R-E, and Scott Harrison at S-A-P. And there, I just spelled that, and I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is the part of the show where we're going to go around the table, and each of my panelists has spent a lot of time, I can tell, on picking a quote. They're going to explain how the quote relates to our topic. And just so the listeners know, if you're new to Game Changers, the quotes they send me are not specifically on the topic of the day, and we want to hear how they think and how they speak in real time in terms of relating a non-topical quote to the topic. So first up, Mike Price of Capgemini has sent me a quote from David Lynch. David Lynch still very much alive and well-born in 1946. Mike, I get to call David Lynch a young man, excuse me. David Keith Lynch, American <laughs> filmmaker, painter, musician, singer, sound designer, photographer, actor, and the list goes on. He's best known for writing and de- directing films such as Eraserhead back in 77, The Elephant Man in 1980, Blue Velvet, ooh, 1986, Mulholland Drive in 2000. And he developed the TV series Twin Peaks. He has been called the most important director of this era by The Guardian. That might have been a few years ago. Here's the quote Mike Price has selected from David Lynch. And I quote, I like to remember things my own way. How I remembered them, not necessarily how they happened. Mike, I love the quote. I think a lot of us think that way, but we don't articulate it. So, Mike, how does this quote relate to our topic, please? Yeah, have you uh, have you heard that one before? No, um, never. But I've thought it. Well, uh, well, in the, uh, well, exactly, and and that's that's the thing is that <clears throat> the, the funny thing about this quote to me personally is that is that I have said this many many times with now with not attributing it to David Lynch. I didn't know where I learned it or heard it or whatever, and it's even. Uh, my wife has even accused me of it. She's like, Mike, that is not what happened. And I said, uh, you know, I'll say, well, it might not be the way it happened, but it's the way I remembered it. And, and, and then I got to thinking about this, Bonnie, because, because especially, you know, now um, with, with the, the COVID-19 coronavirus situation and, and, the, and the economics that we're in and, and, and the, the months and the years that are ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just, it's not just COVID, but I think, I think when, when economies get into these, into these situations and, and, and we socially get into these situations, we have an opportunity to remember it differently months or years from now. And that's, that's, that's true in business that, and that's, that's true in, 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 in economies and, you know, how we, how we come out of this, this situation. What can you do now that will change the way you're remembered or the way that you remember how you overcame obstacles in, in both business and in, in, in social, you know, crises like this? It literally occurred to me that this this really silly thing that I say, right, all the time and have been saying for years, um, really was attributed to David Lynch in a movie, The Lost Island. Um, but also that that it it really does when I look at it the other way around, it really does 
make me uh, very introspective in how, you know, how I can affect how I'm remembered, how we're remembered, how our businesses are remembered, how our social, um, our social responses remembered, you know, um, it's just, it, it's just, um, a very fantastic quote if, if I if I dig into it that way, I think. Thank you very much, Mike. I love the quote and it just it, it rings true. It absolutely does. And by the way, one of you mentioned I think it was Scott Harrison mentioned the more things change and what they stay the same. Scott, that's one of my favorite quotes and I will venture to say it in French plus a change, plus elle même chose. Absolutely one of my favorite mantra quotes of all time. I just wanted to give that one to you, Scott. But that's not Scott's class quote for the show today. We're up to Ritesh Menon at Inkshire. And Ritesh has sent us a quote from Stephen Hawking, who left us in March 2018. Stephen Hawking, Stephen William Hawking, a lot of initials after his name, C-H-C-B-E-F-R-S-F-R-S-A, an English theoretical physicist, cosmologist, and author who was the director of research at the Center for Theoretical Cosmology at the University of Cambridge. Uh, He wrote A Brief History of Time, which was on the Sunday Times bestseller list for 237 weeks. Record-breaking. He was ranked number 25 in the BBC's poll of the 100 Greatest Britons. He lived with ALS, a debilitating disease, for 50 years. He's legendary, absolutely. And he just kept, what they say, soldiering on. He just kept doing what he he believes he was put here to do and being intelligent. So here is the quote Ritesha Select. Intelligence is the ability to adapt to change. Ritesh, I get goosebumps when I read about Stephen Hawking. I'm sorry. I just get very emotional. Ritesh, how did you find this quote? I'm sure there are many. Go ahead. What does it mean for our topic today? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, like you said, I think Stephen Hawking has been an inspiration for me uh, for a number of years now. And uh, I thought there's no other quote which, you know, could summarize really well the situation that we are all going through and that ability to adapt and change, right? Um, so uh, so we are going through that time where I think every organization should relook, reassess, um, uh, you know, their business processes. They should look at their data assets and figure out how can we adapt to the situation that we're going through. Um, and, and this is where that code came in. And I thought, you know, I've been using that code for a long time. Um, it, uh, just that I, like Mike mentioned, you know, it's, it's a quote that, I, that I've been repeating as well for a number of years, but just that I thought it's so much relevant for the, the context, the, the environment that we're in today, and the fact that business have to adapt and change. Because if businesses don't change, then there's obviously, you know, situations like these, it would test what they are today, and, uh, you know, they would be then forced to change. I, I think they should be, they should have that ability to come in and adapt to that situation, and that's where this quote comes in, one. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And I, I just thinking about the inspiration of who he was and how he how he just kept on going. Very, very important, especially now. I wonder how he would have what he would have said and written about our times today. He certainly lived through his own personal, I'll say the word hell for many, many years. Thank you, Ritesh. Scott Harrison has picked a quote from somebody. I don't think we've ever had a quote from this guy before. He's nicknamed the king, the person he's quoting. He was the first superstar of golf's TV age, which began in the 50s. And 
I'm talking about Arnold the King Palmer, Arnold Daniel Palmer, 1929 to 2016, American professional golfer, one of the greatest and most charismatic golfers in the history of the sport. He won events on the PGA Tour and the PGA Tour champions, and his impact was that he was humble, he was plain spoken, and he helped change the perception of golf from what originally was an elite <laughs> upper pastime private club pastime to a more populous sport. I was trying to to wax a very elite there, Scott. I'm sorry if that didn't come across well. To a more populous sport accessible on public golf courses. Imagine that to middle and working class people. He was part of the big three, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, and Gary Player in golf during the 1960s. Here's the quote. Listen up. It's a little bit long, but worth it. Golf is the closest game to the game we call life. You get bad breaks from good shots. Shots, you get good breaks from bad shots. Done. But you have to play the ball from where it lies. Scott, can you unpack this for me, please? Yeah, sure, absolutely. And first, I'm very proud that I brought a quote in from a golf perspective to your show that no one had ever done. So I was looking for something <laughs> new and and a you little different that, you know, characterized one of my passions. So look about this quote, right? In these times of uncertainty and what we've all gone through as a nation worldwide, we've had to play the ball from where it lies, right? Nobody expected this. We didn't ask for this. But similar to golf in life, you have to play with the shot that you have, right? In golf, mm-hmm. you can hit a fantastic shot right down the middle of the fairway, and it hits one small undulation or bump in the fairway and kicks left and goes into the, the trees, and now you have to hit out of it. Or you could hit a really bad shot, and it bounces off of two trees, bounces off of the rock, and ends up right where you want it. I think that's very akin to what we have going on right now with the situation. Every single one of us worldwide. And we've had to play from where we are. And I think the world has done a really good job. And especially in the U.S., we've done a great job adapting and playing from where we are today and what the current situation is today. And the other last point about this in Arlen Palmer, you know, he, uh, there's a thing called Arnie's Army. When people mm-hmm. followed him in golf, he had hundreds of people that would follow him around the golf course. And it was established as his entourage, if you will, called Arnie's Army. And I think that's what people are doing now is they're rallying around each other and everyone's marching to the same beat to be successful and helping people out. Thank you very much. I love it. I think somebody sent me a Jack Nicholas quote for a different show last week. So this is our second golf quote. But you know what? Now we have to get somebody to send us a quote from Gary Player so we can have the big three on Game Changers Radio. Scott, thank you. It's a wonderful quote, and it exactly is true. You have to play the ball from where it lies, and that's the lot in the ball we've all been given right now. And we're trying. Hey, Game Changers has not missed a show, has not missed a a week since all of the shutdown because we do it remotely anyway. So we were always poor to be an intelligent radio show. There we go. So now it's the time, and thank you to my three panelists for your wonderful quotes and all the work you put into them. Let's go into our roundtable segment. We're not going to take a break today because this is too good to stop. So Mike Price at Capgemini sent me the following statements. I'll read one from Mike, and then we will have him unpack it, as they say in the news, explain it, and for about two and a half minutes, and then I will invite Ritesh Menon 
to talk about it, and then Scott Harrison to talk about it, and then I'll pick a statement from Ritesh, and we'll go around the table, and one from Scott, and we'll see how far we get. Lots of good intelligence here. So Mike Price said the following, and this really is level setting, Mike. It's the basis. You say data on its own has no meaning. It's absolutely meaningless. It's only when we apply it for a business function or an outcome that it has any meaning whatsoever. So, Mike, why don't you give us a little tutorial on the value of data? Yeah, yeah, Bonnie. Thank you. So, I think I think data is is over talked about, which sounds silly considering that is the the, the subject of our of our, um, our our show today. But what I mean by that is that in our experience within within Capgemini, doing you know, doing large implementations of of you know data and analytics, is that is that 70% of the spend or so is on the data and, and the return on that 70% of spend is not necessarily the, the greatest, the greatest return on, on the investment. We want to flip that around. Of course, the data is important, but data, you know, as it, as it, it's just numbers and it's attributes um, and it's dimensions, it's things like that, but it, it does not drive the value unless it is is attributed to a particular business problem. You know, things like cash flow and liquidity optimization, which, by the way, is a major topic for most companies right now in the situation and the economics that we're in. Um, so cash flow and liquidity optimization, uh, revenue preservation, you know, how can I use data for, uh, you know, subjects like that? Um, um, supply chain, of course, uh, understanding customer trends. Another one is, is, is fast marketing, um, you know, the it, it direct-to-consumer marketing right now because, because companies feel very, very detached from, from their, you know, from their, their, their customers, their suppliers, their vendors, et cetera. So my point is, is that, is that we have to have ambition, and we have to have um, we have to have use cases for data, and then work backwards. If if I know where I want to be, and I look to the data to, to to understand what data do I need to get there, then I've given meaning to the data. Make sense. Yes, it really does. It really does. It's it's like uh, feelings and facts, right? A fact is a fact. How you have feelings is something you have to do something with it and about. I'm talking in circles here. Thank you, Mike. Mike, let's see what Ritesh yeah. Menon and Inkshire has to say about this. What's your, your thought and your theory about the value of data? Ritesh, agree or disagree with Mr. Mike Price? Yeah, absolutely agree. I think, um, like, like you said and what Mike said, you know, data is data, fact is a fact. But it's really about how to be derive certain insights out of that data to to leverage it in a business context. That's that's really where it all lies. And that's what differentiates companies that is thriving ahead versus those that are not at the moment. So I, I completely agree to that statement. Um, you know, there's, there's a, you know, a, a whole wave around personalization that's ongoing now, and that's all data-driven. There's a machine learning wave, as we all know, that's ongoing. That's, again, all data-driven. And without data and that context that it applies to the, to these business processes, I don't think any of these initiatives is going to take flight. Um, so for me, um, going back to the, to that context of 
data is meaningless without mm-hmm. attaching it to the business context. I absolutely agree with that notion. I think we need to derive certain insights, match on with the business context, and then see where can we get that data from. It could be internal, it could be external, but it's all about attaching it to a business context. Thank you very much. All good. Scott Harrison, join us. Any other thoughts you'd like to add? Agree or disagree? It's your turn. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree, and I would, I would compliment that while data has no meaning, it also data is interconnected. A piece of data that, that, a, that a customer has or a consumer has by itself may only be a data point, but when you string it together, for example, in a supply chain type of scenario, and you start to connect the different pieces of data in real-life examples in terms of how many units of a product do I have to how am I going to ship it to a location and what if I have deviations in shipping or different methods of transportation. You need to think about data connecting it together. The data by itself is just data, but when you put it together with a supply chain of information and using that data in a connected way, then it becomes to be more powerful. And by the way, that data also, when stringed together, helps you make different decisions. And maybe they're decisions that are better or worse than when you started off with a single piece of data. And I think, you know, something we may even talk about today in the show is data is everywhere. From a technology perspective, it's in data lakes, it's in data stores, it's in databases, all over the place. But how do we take that data by itself that has no meaning and string it together to make relevant and thoughtful decisions? Thank you very much. Good around the table. Mike Price, anything you'd like to add briefly to what your colleagues on the panel just shared? No, fine. I think I'm just glad that they agreed. Thank you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have to, Mike. You know that. They could have disagreed. I know, I know. Exactly. But it was such a valid point. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's nice to level set on. We just assume everybody knows. But very, very good points. Ritesh and Ritesh wants to talk about freeing up employees in times of COVID-19 with automating processes. And he says the chatbots are becoming very popular, especially in hire to retire, customer experience. Ritesh, I know you want to focus on complex processing. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about this and we'll go around the table and see what your colleagues have to say. So go ahead, Ritesh. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, this is true, you know, especially now in the COVID-19 times that uh, you want to free up their employees to do something meaningful, right? Um, so, and, and a lot of them in the traditional sense prior to this whole situation could have been traveling their offices and doing a lot of manual grunt work. Like, um, you know, if it's invoice processing, for example, they might be uploading it manually. Um, somebody might be keying that information manually into a system uh, and so on. So I think um, that automation of those processes are critical now to, to enable them to do something more meaningful. So, for instance, in the invoice processing part of it, uh, in a source-to-pay business process perspective, uh, there's uh, optical character recognition, there's RPA that's available that could actually automate all of that work that's, that the employees are doing manually. Um, and instead of, you know, uh, taking that time to enter all that data, data in, and which could also lead to quality concerns, if we automate that, that gives, um, you know, that gives time back to the employees to do something more meaningful. Um, look at it from a customer experience perspective, for example. We have a lot of chatbots now which are augmenting um, their physical workers 
So let's say that I'm I'm ordering something and I want to go and check where's my order right now and there's a chatbot that the organization provides. I can actually go put it in and the chatbot would come back and give me all the information that I need automatically and at an appropriate time if needed would connect to a physical worker, right? So it's really augmenting um, the physical worker, you know, versus in the traditional sense, they would have had to go look up the order, put something back in for the customer, and that's mundane work that uh, that chatbots can do these days. So whether it's sales to pay or, you know, order to cash scenario um, or high to retire in particular, um, we are seeing a lot of traction in terms of where, uh, you know, new employees are getting onboarded virtually now, right? Because there's no offices, everything is shut down. So there's virtual onboarding that's happening and um, AI machine learning and automation is playing a big role in it in terms of adaptive learning, showing them adaptive content uh, for, for these employees while they're getting onboarded into it. Uh, and, and through with chatbot and that uh, H2R scenario as well, where traditionally employees would be putting in their timesheets and if these are manual entry versus using chatbots now that can be automated, again, freeing up a lot of time that they would have spent on a laptop um, for, for doing something that's maybe routine, that's quite uh, repetitive. And this is where I think automation comes in. And um, it's, it's really about augmenting the, that workforce and really taking time off for them so that they can spend it with their family and do something more meaningful. This is, this is my view on automation. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Scott Harrison, thoughts about what Ritesha shared. Go ahead. Yeah, I think Ritesh, you know, I you, you talked about agreeing earlier. I'm, you know, may, maybe this is agree and add to. I think Ritesh did it from a business perspective and a workflow perspective. There are two things to this, though, and we've learned this at SAP through some acquisitions we've made and whatnot. But there are two sides of data. There is the operational data, you know, which is I've got stuff that needs to go somewhere. I'm using AI and chatbot to drive some of that, but there's the human experience of data, and Ritesh just touched on that as well. When we're using AI and chatbots, oftentimes it's because we want to get answers to data and information very quickly, and and a lot of times it's because we have a deadline or we have a personal pressure or professional pressure, and we want to bring that to closure. We want to reduce maybe even the anxiety around getting to a decision, and we want to be able to use technology to get that answer more quickly and more agile, if I could steal the word that you used earlier. So you're seeing this innovation come from companies today that are delivering better data and, more importantly, better experiences to its consumers. And right now in the corporate America, I think there's been a big focus that your employees right now are also your customers Mm -hmm. because if we have happy employees and we have employees that are productive and safe and focusing on their family, that is driving also to the traditional end customer and helping these people be more productive, make better decisions. And it's all around getting that AI chatbot data stuff to them in new ways and getting the anxiety and the stress to getting their data and the decisions of it answered quickly. Thank you, Scott. And before I go to Mike Price, I want to pick up one piece from your statement you said to me, Scott. You say, data decisions have moved from critical to compassionate. That is a quotable moment. Thank you, Scott. Mike Price, you're up. Thoughts about what Ritesh added, what Ritesh started, and Scott's comments. Go yeah. ahead, Mike. Yeah. 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 
you know, to, 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 to disagree with, uh, with, with what Ritesh said would be, would be silly. Uh, I, I think everybody knows, everybody meaning companies and, and folks that run companies know that, that automation, uh, RPA, uh, robotic process automation, um, chatbots, all of these are, I mean, they're, they're already in our daily lives. So to, to, to say that we don't, uh, we shouldn't use them more effectively is, is silly. Um, to expand on, on where we are, though, um, with the work from home situation that we're in, if you flip it and say, what, is it really work from home or have we just changed the way we work? We now work in a boundaryless environment or we mm-hmm. have been, we have been forced to, to accept a boundaryless way of working. And, and what I mean by boundaryless now is that we're all distributed all around the world at, at home and, and elsewhere where we are, where we're removed from, from our, our usual uh, ways of working which has accelerated the requirement for RPA and, and for artificial intelligence to, to, to execute on some of these things, um, as, well as, as well as IoT, right? We are not IoT data and analytics because we're not necessarily um, manned up, uh, you know, on shop floors and, and other places like we were, right? But therefore, we've got to, we still have to run the business. We still have to know what's going on with that machine, right? We st- and as Ritesh said, we still have to get, um, we still have to get information, you know, into the system, whether it's contracts and, and, and others, you know, through, through bots and chatbots and, and stuff. It's, it's amazing how we knew we needed to, to, to leverage these technologies, but now we've been thrust into the, the requirement to do so because of this boundaryless environment that we, that we have and that we're working within. Thank you very much. Ritesh, anything you'd like to add? Really good comments from your panel, co-panelists around the table. Ritesh? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's, a, there's a new buzzword that's coming out there in the industry. They're, they're, trying to, uh, they're calling it hyper-automation, which is essentially a combination of you know, machine learning, package applications, uh, some of these automation tools like RPA and um, Industry 4.0 and IoT all coming together. So um, I think hyper-automation, and um, I'm glad that the, the panel agreed uh, to, to that comment and point. Thank you very much. Good conversation. We love these statements my panelists send me in advance because they spark such good, intelligent, and savvy conversations around the table that inspire and educate and help our listeners around the world. Scott Harrison, you're up next, and I'm looking at your statements here. A lot of good stuff. Um, I'll give you an option, Scott. You want to talk about the health of data and the putting a plan in place to use data for real insights. I love your statement. The gym is open twenty four seven. Or do you want to go to packaged IP, Scott? What's your pleasure? We've talked a lot today about data, and data, data is the topic. So let's let's go to the one around packaged IP. You know, so okay. we can address this in a little bit of a different angle. And that's the following: I work with partners all over the world. And as I said at the top of the show, small partners, startups with a new idea and very large technology organizations. And what we're seeing right now and what's clear is that partners need to come up with new and innovative ways to make money. 
Um, mm-hmm. Whether you are a partner that delivers services, whether you are a technology company that builds something, you need to come up with new business models. Pressure, the margin pressures in a lot of businesses is becoming more competitive. You're having to offer solutions that are more packaged in terms of quick deliverables, quick ROI, not long drawn out um, offerings You know, with a very high price tag. What we're seeing is that companies that package IP and deliver it and monetize that IP are creating new revenue streams that previously they didn't have. So I've seen small startup technology companies who were in a specific business, maybe implementing a piece of technology, come up with some IP, a unique business process that they have, and they're now packaged and selling that. That's creating revenue streams and profitability to them that is helping their business grow and expand, and it's helping deliver on a global basis. It's really important when I'm speaking with companies, whether it's that small startup or that very large organization that's starting a new business unit or a new process, that they think about how they monetize the types of IP that they're offering and that they're monetizing solutions that are unique and that are differentiated in the marketplace. It's really important for them to stay competitive and lean And, you know, one example in that, since, you know, we've had a theme is in today's world, you're seeing a lot of companies retrofit what they did 120 days ago to what they're doing now to help with COVID-19. So that's an example maybe outside of the technology world necessarily that we're talking about today to how companies are retrofitting, creating packages and new offerings to stay competitive. Thank you very much. Good points there, Scott Harrison. Mike Price, Capgemini, talk to us. What do you think? Yeah, I I agree. I think it's, um, I think, well, not I think, uh, we, we see buying patterns change. And this gets from our customers and clients and, and what, what, what they expect. And, and this gets back to, you know, data being, having no meaning unless there's a use case for it. But that doesn't mean that companies necessarily want to have to prove already proven hypotheses. Things like, you know, I mentioned the cash flow and liquidity optimization, things like um, intelligent shipping, things like uh, cold chain storage and tracking for, you know, for CPRD companies that are moving um, perishable goods. They don't have, they shouldn't have to prove these out with their data and rebuild them. They should be able to go to SAP and go to the partner marketplace and be able to capitalize on this IP that's already been already been built and created. That's what they're looking to buy because there's not there's not time, you know, for them to go through the hundreds of hypotheses that are specific to that they believe are specific to their business when somewhere in the ecosystem, that problem has been solved, and they don't—they don't mind paying for it, but they do mind paying for having to build something over and over again. And that's—that—that's the—that's the new—the new paradigm that we're in when it comes to to, to reusable and re-implementable uh, intellectual property and solutions. Thank you very much, Ritesh. Please join us. What do you think? 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is a you know a statement that's near and dear to my heart because as an organization which is going through um, a journey of exactly what Scott described. Right? So I agree with both Scott and Mike about the fact that you know it's it's about a marketplace and IP and organizations out there are looking at um, solutions that are really quick to implement, but more importantly proven, and they know that somebody's done it. Uh, and it works, right? So there's no time to experiment at the moment. There's no time to go and have these large build cycles. They want to solve it yesterday. And and this is where I think package IP comes in and partners play a critical role in providing that to, to these organizations looking for that. Um, I'm also seeing a trend, and I'll probably call out an example from the physical world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, today's world, you see restaurants and pizza stores selling groceries. You never thought that would happen a few, right. few weeks ago, right? So um, that's something similar that I'm seeing as a trend now coming into the software ecosystem where you have an ecosystem where partners are coming together and saying, look, you have this product and we have this product. Let's join hands and join forces and go to market together so that these organizations looking at holistic solutions have one place to go and buy it and that interconnected at play, if you may, is also is also starting to come of age, um, so that's that's the patterns and trends that we're seeing out in the in, in the world right now. Thank you very much. Good around the table, Scott. Anything you want to add? I have one more I want to squeeze in before we go to predictions. Go ahead, Scott. No, let's 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 let. Well, if you have one more topic, let's do that. I think that you know the summary there is 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 innovation and creativity. It's looking for new business models. And everybody's doing that, right? Across the world, in every industry, in every corner of the world, people are looking at new ways to deliver their solutions or their ideas. And packaging IP in the technology world is proving itself out to be a new revenue stream that that, that, company, that partners can capitalize on. But more importantly than that, it's that the customers need those solutions. And we've got to get that innovation to the customers so that they can remain and become digital and intelligent enterprises. Thank you. Beautiful summary. I appreciate that. Mike Price, you had something in here about wrangling chaos theory. I don't remember you saying anything. Let me read this, if that's okay with you, Mike, and then just briefly you can expand on it, and then we'll go to predictions. Mike, are you good with that? Okay. Here's what Mike told me in his fourth statement. He says, wrangling data is similar to wrangling chaos theory, which states that within the apparent randomness of chaotic complex systems, there are underlying patterns. We have to identify data use cases, attractors in relation to chaos theory, and then apply the appropriate data. Otherwise, we get lost in where to even start. This sounds fast. I think we could have done a whole show on this one, but we we didn't have time. So, Mike, just give us a couple of insights. Take about two or three minutes, and then we're going to go to predictions. Go ahead, Mike. Okay. Okay. Well, let me give you let me give you an example because I I've, I've actually thought about this quite a bit. But here's a very simple example. Let's say that that you are at a park and there are just kids running all around the park. They're everywhere. They're just they're they're running through the grass. They're playing on the swings. They're doing all. They it's just it's just atoms running around. Right. It's just chaos. There's, there, there's no organization whatsoever. If you introduce an attractor, in this case, let's just say that an ice cream truck comes pulling up the street, rings its bell, and it stops at the edge of the park. 
you will see organization take place in a heartbeat. <laughs> you will see kids uh, right. immediately line up and organize um, um, simply because there's an attractor. So this gets back to what Scott was saying, too, about understanding the, the meaning of data, but then also points of data and how metadata ties together to other sets of metadata to solve multiple problems with a set of data. But the only way that we can solve a problem with data, and this relates back to chaos theory, is to create a quote-unquote attractor or a use case that drives that drives what data we need. Are you still there, Mike? I love it. And chaos theory, I, I'm not familiar with that, and I think it's great. I just tweeted what you said. I think it's very important. Thank you. You know what? We're just about at our predictions round. Just quickly, Ritesh, do you have a 30-second comment on chaos theory and wrangling the data? And then, Scott, let's squeeze this in before we go. And, Mike, you can tee up your prediction when I come back to you. Ritesh, what do you think? Chaos theory, data? Yeah, very well put, Mike. I think that and a, and a perfect metaphor. Um, so um, I agree that there are a lot of these underlying patterns, and I think uh, leveraging technologies like machine learning um, will help us bring that out. Uh, an, an example being, you know, I, I heard that for the COVID situation, the supercomputer ran some millions of simulations and came out with certain predictions and uh, statistics. We're not going into details. But there are certain patterns that's out there, and I believe using new technologies like machine learning will help us um, get that patterns out. And um, in this case, probably machine learning is the attractor that, uh, that Mike talked about. Thank you. Scott Harrison, 30 seconds on this one, and Mike's ready with his prediction. Go ahead, Scott. What do you think? Chaos theory. Love it? Leave it? Yeah, I love his idea. I mean, who doesn't like ice cream and who's not going to line up in a line for the ice cream truck, right? But here's the thing. In the new world today, let's make that ice cream truck, you know, person, that man or lady, let's make them innovative. Let's tie it back to new offerings. What if it was delivered in a mobile device? So instead of 25 kids standing in line and waiting what if you were they able to order what you wanted on that device? It comes into the, to the truck, and then they're able to hit the supply and the demand more quickly. So people are waiting in lines less time. So we're still organized. We've taken the chaos theory. We've organized yep. it to people, but we've done what is the reality in the world. My kids are on it. It's these darn mobile devices everywhere <laughs> all the time in every part of the world that, you know, people are using it. Very interesting. I'm, do you know, the three of you, do you know what baking supply is almost completely out? Gouge pricing is happening online. People who have become home bakers are craving it and they can't find it in the stores. And two pounds of it costs almost $100 if you look online. Quickly, anybody know it's a one-word product? It's five letters. Anybody know what that product is that's out of stock? Flour. Anybody guess? Flour. Nope. 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 Flour. Nope. Not flour. Nope. Guess what? It's yeast. Yeast. Oh. Everybody's baking oh. bread. Yeast. You cannot find yeast. Look on Amazon. I, I will keep my mouth shut about gouge pricing. The comments are coming in from everywhere. Two pounds of yeast for 100 bucks. Anyway, it's time for predictions. I predict I have five packets of yeast and people are going to be lined up outside my door to buy them for me. I could make a fortune. <laughs> I'm only teasing. I bake my own bread. Mike Price, Cap Gemini. time for predictions. Crystal Ball, I could give you just under 60 seconds because now we're tight because we had too much fun in the last three minutes. So, Mike Price, Very what do good. you predict will happen about our topic? 
topic, data assets and your okay. digital ecosystem. Go ahead. Well, yeah, well, it just goes to what you just said, Bonnie, you know, that, that we're in these times of high supply versus low demand situations, yep. and we're in high demand versus low supply situations, depending on business types. And, and this has really ripped the Band-Aid off of, of a sore that, that, that's always been there, you know, the, 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 particularly around supply chain. So, so the prediction is, is that, of course, we're going to see explosion in automation, AI, ML, RPA, and bots. But we will be looking at it much more surgically versus how we have in the past as kind of in a sandbox where you just want to try new things. Now it's very surgical. We see holes exposed in, in how, we, how we manage security within our countries, within, within security for data, how we ensure the health of our people, um, as, well as, as well as the core business processes that Ritesh mentioned. Just a massive explosion in automation and AI and ML. Thank you. Ritesh, Menon, Inkshire, 45 yeah. seconds. Yeah. What do you uh, think? What do you say? <laughs> Yeah, well, the, the relentless optimist guy that I am, when I look at the crystal ball, it's bright and shiny. So I believe mm. that's setting ourselves up for a bright future. Um, needless to say, I think organizations will jump onto the technology bandwagon uh, and they will all be technology forward more so now than ever, now that they've gone through it. Um, my predictions would be that, uh, you know, the hyper automation that I talked about, that is going to go up in leaps and bounds. Um, as well as probably the world is going to get more hyper-connected and, uh, with, you know, driven by intelligent supply chains, driven by intelligent procurement and all of that. I think it's just going to get more and more connected, more so now than ever. And organizations are, to quote Mike, going to look beyond their boundaries and uh, see how can they be one true large connected ecosystem so that supply and demand can be balanced. Thank you very much. Scott Harrison, you get the last word. I've got 45 seconds with your name on them. Go. Yes, data has changed the way that we are going to become more efficient, especially with the global crisis we're going on. At the end of this, we're going to be more lean. We're going to be more resilient. We're going to be more efficient, and we're going to be more successful, and not just because of the data around supply chain and optimization and all of the things that good businesses talk about, it's going to be because of the people and because of the employees. And if you're lucky enough to work for a great company, I do, who puts their employees first, I think you're also going to see that the data tied to the employees are going to create more innovation, more efficiency. People are going to be more agile. We've learned to work in new ways that is going to make companies more successful. It's going to make businesses more profitable. Thank you. I love the optimism. That's what we all need, Scott. Thank you for that very positive last word. I want to thank Dana Corder at SAP for putting together this wonderful panel and great topic, and Ira Burke, of course, for sponsoring the series. This is Season 7. We are so thrilled. Internet of Things is still with us and one of our most popular shows. And thank you to Aaron Keller, engineer extraordinaire at Voice America Radio, the business channel for keeping us on the air the way we need to be there so everybody can hear us. Thank you to my panelists, and here's my call to action. 
and fasten your seatbelt. Even if you're not going anywhere, it's a metaphor. What are you waiting for? As they say today, my car gets three months to the gallon of gas. How many does yours get? What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Mike Price at Capgemini. Thank you, Mike. Just like Ritesh Bennett at Inkshire. Thank you, Ritesh. Nice to meet you. And of course, just like Scott Harrison at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. As I always say, be safe, be smart, and be well. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. 